All episodes of the Garage Build podcast are recorded live in the Law Fran Studios. The law offices of Fran Hosh, Palm Harbor, Florida. Call 1-866-LAW-FRAN or go to lawfran.com. The law offices of Fran Hosh, serving the Tampa Bay biker community for over 20 years. Welcome back to the Garage Bill Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Hallman. Hey, this episode of the Garage Bill Podcast is brought to you by SNS Cycles. Since 1958, SNS has led the V Twin aftermarket from innovative new ways to get air and fuel into your performance twin to big bore kits for all big twins, sportsters, and MAs to today's must have exhaust components. Choose SNS Cycles for your next performance upgrade. Visit sscycle.com and follow SNS Cycles on social media at SS Cycle. Arlen S Motorcycles, save 10%, receive free shipping in the lower 48 when you use the sales code GarageBill10 in all orders at arlenes.com. We're also brought to you by Team Dream Rides in Maryville, Tennessee. Dream Rides is located only minutes from the tail of the dragon, and they specialize in performance engine upgrades, used bike sales and service, maintenance and repair. Visit teamdreamrides.com and make sure you're following at Dream Rides Tennessee and Instagram to check their used motorcycle inventory or to purchase your next performance upgrade. The High Seas Rally is going to set sail this October 29th through November 5th on the High Seas for the only motorcycle rally on a cruise ship. One week, 3,500 bikers and four Caribbean ports. What could go wrong? Follow at High Seas Rally on Instagram and use the code SPEEDMETAL to save 100 bucks when you book your cabin price. And this year, you get a free drink ticket. Drinks are on us. Electric lighting features top shelf LEDs backed by 30 years of cutting edge industry leading manufacturing and the best warranty in the market. Use sales code SPEED2022 for free shipping in US 48 on all orders over 50 bucks at namscustomcycleproducts.com. And we're also, as always, brought to you by 1620 Workwear, premium made in the USA workwear, guaranteed for life. Visit 1620usa.com and use discount code SPEED2022, and you're going to save 20% at checkout. Also, follow at 1620USA on Instagram. Hey, today I have a legend on the show, Mr. Dave Perowitz, DP as his friends call him from Perowitz Cycle Fab. I'm super stoked to talk to him and hear all about his 50-year-plus long career. So it's time for the Garageville Podcast. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Garageville Podcast with your host, Jason Coleman. DP. Hey, Jason. How you doing? I'm well. How are you? Good. <laughs> Good. Good. Oh, ready for summer, huh? Oh, yeah. I appreciate you doing this. Yeah. I know you're super busy this time of year. There's so much going on. And then uh, for us to just do this right after Memorial Day week, and I thought, well, i got to get it before it gets even worse once we get closer to Sturgis. Yeah. Well, you know, it's crazy. You know, once the warm weather gets here, you know. Everybody comes out of the woodwork. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a good thing, though. I remember I'm um, being from Detroit, like, when we had the bike shop up there, like, as soon as Memorial Day hit, we were, it was, it, it could have been a seven-day operation some weeks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it, it is. <laughs> believe me. <laughs> um, it, it is, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, you have, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you have a pretty full calendar leading up to Sturgis, but what are you guys, what are you guys working on right now? Uh, well, we got a, a lot of service work right now. Um, you know, quick jobs, starters, rear belt, uh, brakes, tires, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, you know, we don't do a lot of that throughout the year, but this time of year we do do a lot of it. Uh, so, you know, we're, we're taking care of service work. And then I've got a couple of um, old pro street bikes that uh, – they kind of come out of the woodwork. They've been sitting for years, and guys decide they want to ride them again. So I've got a couple of those in here that, uh, you know, we're draining and flushing out the gas tanks and 
cleaning carburetors yeah. and putting new batteries in and hoping for the best. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, if you would have told me 10 years ago that I would make as much money as I make off of fixing fuel systems today, it yeah. would be it would be amazing. The ethanol just absolutely destroys everything in that whole system. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's crazy. I hate it. You know, um, the gas tanks is, you know, I'm working on a pro street now that I built in 06. Right. Uh, 05, 06. And, you know, it's been off the road since 2015. And, oh, my God. I mean, we've flushed the tank out, you know, uh, half a dozen times already. And uh, we're still getting, you know, rusty slag out of it. And, um, you know, it's sad that, that the, the shit goes to hell that quick, you know. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's happening. Do you uh, you find that I mean so the the right now it seems like the pro streets are being like they didn't go away they just kind of hid out for a while and now it seems like that's that's the jam again which I happen to personally the FXR style that I like and the Dyna style that I like I I really really like the the pro street style I I you know the the late nineties the stuff that you know you and and Donnie and and Arlen really pioneered and and you guys all had your own specific way of doing it are those, those the bikes that you're talking about that are kind of coming out of the woodwork again? Yeah, yeah the the stuff with the two fifty rear tires the three hundred rear tires mm-hmm. um, and you know I'll tell you I've bought a half a dozen of them or more. Uh, back in the last few years and, you know, uh, $75,000 bikes that have no miles on them and, you know, you can buy them for under 20. Yeah. And, um, you know, guys are buying them, um, you know, because they're such a good deal. And, you know, even if they only ride them a few times, uh, you know, and they were fun to ride. I mean, I loved riding. I rode those things for years and years. That was all we had. We didn't have really uh, baggers to ride back then you know nobody really rode baggers we all rode the pro streets and and uh and we did long rides and and you know of course we were a lot younger than yeah. too so <laughs> you know that certainly does uh t- take something into consideration yeah that's but, a um the pro yeah, street no, stuff I, and, and, go ahead sorry you know so no no so you know we've been doing a lot of that stuff um we've got um you know a couple of bobbers that we're building, we, we've got, um, you know, some shovel head stuff, and uh, I'm about to start, you know, and I keep saying that, a year ago I said I'm about to start uh, building some old iron head diggers. Yeah. Um, and I have, uh, you know, I've collected original, old original nest stuff. Oh, it's been years since, you know, years and years I've been collecting this stuff and I've got enough pots to build three full diggers right now and uh, you know I keep saying you know I want to get started on them I want to get started on them but you know all these projects keep getting in my way so (laughs) yeah right we got to pay the bills yeah exactly the jump off part that I'd like to pick off with you is so I've been in the industry almost 20 years. There's a lot of guys that, you know, I kind of look thing look at things kind of like high school classes, right? Like, you know, the class of, you know, kind of the guys that got in around the time I did the Pat Patterson's, the, the Paul Weidman's myself, you know, the guys that yeah. didn't, the guys that didn't already have everything going on, like, like you guys did. And then there were some dudes that were only a couple years older than us, like Jesse and Billy that really hit really hard right out of the shoot. But I want to talk about what the industry was like prior to what I call the gold rush. So I want to talk about from like, I want to say 85 to 99. It seems like, you know, when you talk to, it was a big deal when my, I remember when my dad got his first Harley not having a Triumph anymore. And the guy who had a Harley down the street came down and that's when he decided to make friends with my dad. Like having a Harley was something that really, really meant something to especially your generation of guys you couldn't just go buy whatever you wanted so you and your peer group you had to make everything and i don't think people understand how hard it was to get good cylinder heads and good pistons and rod bear and was tell me about what the industry was like in in that 15 year period well how about if we go back further than that sure yeah (laughs) Um, you know, I mean, I started in 1970, right? Um, that was my last job I had was in 1970. (laughs) 
uh, and and you know I started painting bikes and and uh, you know I don't want to say building bikes you you know you built your own stuff and you know you helped your friends but you know there wasn't much available back then you know you had to cut and chop and and make stuff and <laughs> the industry was very very small um, I can remember going to <clears throat> I started going to the rats hole show in Daytona in 1974 Okay. Um, and from 74 to the early 80s, you knew we, you know, once, you know, I got to be friends with Alan Ness and Donnie Smith, we all became friends. You, you know, we had a, a, you know, a group down there every year and you knew everybody that was building bikes. If, if a bike showed up at the Rats Hole Show that was really cool, and you, you know, we were like on it, like, wow, where'd this bike come from? Who's this guy? And we would, you know, make a point to meet the guy. And most of the time, they became part of our circle. Um, and and you know, that's there wasn't a lot of guys out there doing that stuff. Um, you know, doing it to that level anyway. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it was a very cool group. You know, um, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to meet all these other guys from different parts of the country when, you know, when I, uh, you know, early on and, you know, which, you know, now, you know, most of us have become the hamsters mm -hmm. and, um, you know, it, it's been, it's been an awesome ride all the way. Um, and, and I got to tell you, it, it certainly hasn't been easy. Um, you know, there's not a lot of guys left out there from the old days i mean very few yeah uh and and you know it's cool when i get to talk to somebody you know like andy anderson will say you know andy's been doing it as long as i have and you know we we get together and talk and and uh you know we talk about old times and what we used to do back in the day and and, uh, you know, the, the paint technology was so different, you know. Uh, yeah, I love seeing I those remember. old j lacquer jobs when they come in. You can still see the craftsmanship, but the, the paint material didn't hold up how you would want it to. And it's cracked and it's, you know, it, it's got some character to it, but it definitely, you know, it, in its day, it would have been perfect, right? And then now it, it's dried out is the only way I know how to describe it. Well, yeah, yeah. It's funny. I, 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 we, did a, we did a seminar here last week on paint materials. Uh, it was extremely informative. Uh, I learned a lot. Uh, I had five manufacturers here uh, explaining their materials and their, their, uh, their tools. And um, I, had, I have a tank here. It's an old Nest diamond tank that I painted in 1977. Uh, it's black with all gold leaf scrolls. Mm -hmm. And I never put it on a bike. I, I painted it for a guy, and then he never went on to build the bike. And, I, and you know, the, the tank has never been on a bike. Right. And so we used it as an example, and um, we, we buffed it. And, uh, I mean, it looks really good, but you can see it's got, you know, cracks in the paint. You sure. know, and, and it's, you know, it's just due to that's what we had for material back then. You know, nowadays, um, dudes share, um, you know, it's so easy. Now you see a, a, a builder and I don't, I'm not trying to make fun of anybody or say this is wrong. It's just like everybody chronicles like every little every little bit of progress that they put on a bike, every little bit of fabricating they do, every little bit of, you know, and it's like, yeah. it leaves nothing, to me, it seems to leave nothing to desire in the end product. How did you guys, first off, did you guys share what you were doing with each other back then? And was it one of these things where you'd take a Polaroid and put it in the mail and send it to Ness? Or was it, did everybody only see bikes at rallies or shows? Um, yeah, very rarely did we see pictures. Um, you know, I'm not saying it never happened, but very rare. Uh, you know, uh, like Alan, I talked to Alan a lot. I mean, him and I became really good friends, as Donnie Smith, too. Mm -hmm. And so we would talk regularly, and Alan was truly the innovator. Um, you know, and he would 
he really helped me a lot because when he came up with some new deal, he would always call me and tell me about it. And, and you know, um, you know, all these cool little tricks and, and so on. But it was very hard back then, you know. You the best you could do is go to a show and hope that you see all the new cool shit, you know. Yeah. Do you feel like because of the Internet, maybe that some of the – the um it's taken off some of the allure and some of the, the, the fun away from all of the different events around the country, or do you still feel like the events are still where it's at and that's still where you, where you go to, to see talent? Well, there's very few events that you can go to and be surprised uh, to see cool stuff because most everything is posted on the internet right. early. Um, and you know, you, you can't blame guys. Now the magazine thing is, is just really almost non-existent. Right. So, you know, guys want to post what they're doing and they want to show the cool stuff they're building. And, and so it's not like the old days when you go to a show and be awed by, wow, did you see that guy's bike? You know, and, and now, there's uh, very few people that don't post all this stuff, right? You know, uh, before the shows, and and you know, plus the shows are a lot different now. I mean, you know how it is. It's, yeah, it's it's tough. There's so much out there. There's so many shows. I mean, you go to Sturgis. I mean, there's at least one and sometimes two shows every single day during Bike Week. Yeah, sometimes at the same so, venues too. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's watered things down so much, um, and you know everybody wants a little piece of it, um, and you know, I mean, that's the way it is. There's not much you can do about it. Um, you know, I mean, I just heard now the uh, the IMS shows have all been canceled, um, and a lot of it is due to Holly Davidson pulling out. You know, Holly has pulled out of IMS as a major sponsor um i i don't understand the i don't understand the do you you know the one i don't want to over talk you but i wanted to point to this out because you said harley pulled out like it seems to me that they're they they come in and out of supporting the industry that has largely guys like you and arlen and donnie made their bikes acceptable when they weren't building such a great bike if you know what I mean, and yeah, no, to me, I know exactly what you mean. I felt like Harley has built an unfinished motorcycle for a lot of years. That if not for guys like you and Arlen and Donnie, that would still there wouldn't be anything to to make it cool. If if you know what I'm saying, I mean, you guys took like a good set of bones and made it what it needed to be in order to be cool. Yeah. Well, you know, I've got a lot of friends that are that are Harley dealers, right, and. I mean, it's it's no secret that the Holly Dealers Association are just absolutely upside down with the factory. Uh, there's a new uh, the new head of Holly Davidson is a guy. He's a foreigner, for one thing, mm-hmm. um, and he it's all about numbers and money. Yep, and and he's he's destroying the company there's no bikes to be had uh i got a good friend of mine that has a sizable dealership and um the the her march order generally she gets uh 25 to 30 new bikes uh in her march order this year she got four um, I talked to another good friend of mine has a big dealership. He told me he's got 20 brand new bikes. That's it. That's all he has. You know, um, you know, and they're shutting the, in the, in the, um, uh, the factory is shut down. I, I think like next week they're shutting the factory down for a week or something like that. And, and, you know, all the dealers are they're like, they're really up in arms, you know, they're, they're, they're hurting. 
How much and, responsibility uh, does the how much responsibility does the factory have when they have implored? And I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel you know I used to be in the car business, and then I saw all these car dealerships witness Harley Davidson dealers printing money in the early two thousands, and then all these old dealers seem to get run out out of town on a rail, and you know people like uh, the 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 um, the the Robesons and, uh, and you know, and the guy that the Huffman's that used to own Lakeland Harley, they get run out for these quote unquote business people that know how to run quote unquote dealerships. And then yeah, they lose their right to print money or the ability to print money, or they're selling more jeans than they are motorcycles. And it, it doesn't end up being what, what dealerships used to be. When I was a little kid, dealerships were, a shop exactly like yours that sold new bikes and exactly like mine that sold new bikes. It wasn't the other way around. Yeah. Yep. No, I, I know. And, it, and it's sad. It's becoming a total corporate deal. There's uh, groups now throughout the country that are uh, buying up uh, Holly dealerships. And, um, you know, I mean, there's, there's groups that own, you know, anywhere from six to 15 dealerships. And, and, you know, they're all car dealers. They're all, they all have like a car dealer background. Right. Uh, they're not bike people. Um, as is the president of Holly, you know, um, the guy is, you know, I mean, I can't tell you how many complaints I hear from uh, my friends that are dealers that, you know, that the guy is just a jerk off, you know, he's, uh, and and I mean, hey, listen, I mean, I got nothing to lose. I no, I I know the that. world. The guys, the guys are jerk off. You know, they shouldn't have them in there. Um, you know, I just read a thing this morning. Robin Bradley said, you know, Holly is uh, doing well. If if uh, you know the numbers are up, and you know, well, <laughs> if you ask a Holly dealer, they don't have the same story. That's for sure. No, you, you can say that we're selling all of our inventory out when you're not building any new bikes and you're not allowing dealers allocation right. to have bikes. And the whole thing exactly. is, I feel like the whole thing is going to come tumbling down. Uh, and, and so I feel like, so Dave, I bought my first brand new Harley Davidson in 2003 in March. I bought, it was just an 883 custom. I paid seventy four yep. seventy nine ninety nine for it. I sold it later yep. that year to a school teacher in Alabama for ten thousand dollars, ten thousand two hundred dollars. I don't yep. think we're ever going to see a time in our lives where you can go buy a brand new Harley and sell it a year later for more money. And you and I both know, we both knew people, and you might have been one of these guys that had a standing order at the dealership. You bought a new bike every year. You you rode it for a year, and then you sold it for enough money to pay for the bike and then a little sum and then bought another one. There was dudes out there that did that. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, my first brand new bike, first brand new bike I bought was in, uh, I bought a 78 and a half, uh, FX EF. That was my first brand new bike. And I paid 3495 for it. Right. Um, you know, and, and, uh, you know, I, 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 you know, to be honest with you, I don't even remember what I did to it. You know, um, I'm sure that I didn't leave it stock. Right. You know, um, that was so many bikes ago, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, yeah, I mean, you can sell out if you only make half as many or a you know, 25% as many bikes. Sure. You can sell out your numbers look good, you know? Yeah. And you can raise the price too, because I can remember back, there was a motorcycle club back in Detroit that gave away the chance to purchase. It was a guaranteed chance to purchase a bike. So the raffle wasn't, you didn't win a hot brand new Harley. You won a guaranteed spot at the Harley dealership. Yeah. You, with were, your bike you, you won a slot. Yeah. And you didn't even get to pick the color of the bike. I mean, there was sometimes you'd order a black one and a purple one would come in. This happened to a friend of mine, ordered a black 99 yeah. Road Glide. A purple one came in. They called him and said, your bike's here. He went down there. He says, I didn't order a purple one. I ordered a black one. They're like, well, we have a purple one. And if you don't want it, this guy over here will take it right now. And I think oh, that's yeah. probably an infinitely better business model because it made the commodity that much more valuable. And I, I think pleasing shareholders is a terrible way to govern your business. 
Yeah. Well, you know, years ago, and I don't remember what era it was, but the local Holly dealer would have a lottery. You yep. had to go into a lottery to buy a brand-new bike. And they would have a date that that lottery would happen. And for quite a few years, they would have a, literally a camp out. There would be people that would sit in the parking lot for three or four days waiting for their number so that they could get a low number to buy a brand-new bike. You know, I mean, they had lawn chairs set up out there, and, and then, you know, it got too, it just got out of hand, and they had, a, right. they had to stop doing it. But, I mean, that's how crazy it was back then. Yeah, I'm, and I don't think that it's any less cool. Like, I, I remember buying my first Harley, and, and I still get excited when I get a new one or new, new to me, you know. But I feel like... Mm -hmm. um, I feel like the bikes, I think that's why the bikes that you're talking about that are getting kind of pulled out of the backs of garages and out of the, out of the, the glass cases that they're in, you know, some of these $75,000 motorcycles that were built, you know, guys like you built them and Jesse and, and Billy and everybody, I think people are starting to kind of get them back out because they're, they're, they're not only valuable again, but they're, they're interesting again, because the, the way that the factory is so it is kind of watered down. I've said for years that Harley Davidson is a t-shirt company that sells unfinished bikes. And, you know, that's just my personal opinion of it. But I, and I think they're, yeah. I think they're lost on the fact that companies like SNS have solved a lot of their problems from an engineering standpoint and Baker have solved a lot of problems that they've put out into the, into the marketplace. You know, some of the engine problems that happen, you shouldn't have, you shouldn't be able to buy a brand new $25,000 bike and have it have an oil something issue. I just, I just don't think it should, even though that that's how you and I make our living <laughs> is fixing that shit. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I mean, Hey, I agree. You know, I mean, there's, there's so many inherent problems, but you know, Hey, what are you going to do? I mean, you know, you can buy an Indian or, you know, you could buy something else, right? It's not, it's not a Holly Davidson, you know, um, I'm a Holly guy all the way, you know, yep. um, uh, Jody is, uh, you know, she's got an Indian and she loves it. But, um, uh, you know, I just bought a new Holly last year and, and, you know, I love my new Holly. Yeah. But, you know, it, it, you know, if there's problems with it, I just deal with it, you know, and that's it, you know? Yeah. But well, we just, we just fix, fix what's going on. Um, getting back to the, the era of, of like 85 and 99 and stuff. Can you remember when, the catalogs started getting bigger and there started being more things offered and you guys had yourself, you had a, a product line of stuff called the, the look, you know, you had the headlight and you had lots of, lots of different things to, to customize the bike was, was the, the economy of things still similar the way it is today. And, you know, as far as the aftermarket or is it much different today than what it was then? Well, it's it's much different today because there's so much out there. There's so many things out there. You know, back then, if you made a product, um, you know, and I had several product lines, but you know, it was all about supply and demand. Right. Um, if you couldn't supply the demand, then somebody was going to knock you off right away. Right. Um, and you know, with my deal. You know, I didn't, I didn't put, I didn't put my energies into uh, building products as much as I did building bikes and painting bikes. Mm -hmm. You know, my first love was building and painting, and so you know, people would knock my stuff off, and you know, I just move on to the next thing. Um, you know, but but today you make a product and there's 10 companies that make a similar product or the same product. And what are you going to do? You know what I mean? There's, there's not much you can do to fight it, you know? Um, and, but you know, everybody's trying to, you know, and then, you know, the, the, you know, I mean, geez, how can you possibly compete with a pot that's made in China and Taiwan that, you know, you got to make in this country, you know, um, I mean, there is some good stuff being made overseas, you know. I mean, there's a lot of junk, too, but there's, there is some good stuff. 
Yeah. And you know, I mean, there's good, we do live in kind of this global economy, right? It's kind of hard to sit on your iPhone and bitch about US made products when the, the iPhone is arguably probably one of the most karma heavy devices on the planet that's manufactured. But there is, there has to be a balance, right? And I think that's the key that we're missing in, in the, uh, in the community that we have, you mentioned before that it was a really, really small community back then. And I still feel like on the grand scheme of things, our aftermarket motorcycle, uh, community is probably the smallest billion dollar industry that I can, I can think of. I mean, you know, everybody, everybody knows you. And then when we go to Sturgis and we go to Daytona, there's like I feel like there's two different events going on that are parallel to each other. You and I go to Daytona with a specific set of requirements that we, you know, or obligations, professional obligations. We have to be here. We have to be there. We have to support this person and support this show and this organization, which you do an amazing job of. I don't know how you do it without a, a personal assistant, but then there's the people who go there that it's a vacation. And I don't think people that go on vacation understand the, what happens behind behind the curtain of this tiny little billion dollar industry well i mean you know that's true i mean it's it's you know i mean we travel a lot you know yep. we go to all the major bike events and you know and but it's a job you mm-hmm. know and and not to say we don't love it but it's a job you know i don't go to daytona to sit around and relax I go there because it's it's all business, right? You know, and and of course, you know, it's we we love doing it, but uh, it, it's it's not, you know. I mean, you're right. I mean, the schedule, you know, I mean, Sturgis now. I mean, there's there's no days that we don't have something business wise going on. You yeah. know, every day there's something. Almost every night, you know, you want to get together with an old friend to have dinner. It's like, well, geez, I got one night free in in seven days with it. We got one night free. Right. Um, and you have you three know, days it, travel there and three days travel back. I mean, to be honest, you know, sometimes you get home in a yeah. day and in two days. Some days you get home in four days because something breaks or what. But there's all those possibilities, weather and traffic and God know an accident could happen to somebody else, not you, and you're shut on the freeway for four and a half hours because there really is no good way to get around. You're going from Massachusetts to Sturgis. That's a long, long, long trek. People don't think so, but it is. Yeah, right, right, right. No, absolutely. But, um, you know, hey, I, I mean, I, I, I love doing it. And, um, you know, we, uh, we, we, you know, we'll continue to do it. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so back in the day, so the gold rush era is something that I say, it, I just use it to describe like 2000 to 2006, 2007, before the market kind of, you know, took the dump that it did and kind of reset everything. There was a point in time where it seemed like every motorcycle builder was selling every bike that they were building, whether it was, whether it looked cool or didn't look cool, that was painted right, not painted right. The bigger the tire, the bigger the motor, the shinier, this, that, the other thing. Do you find now that the work that you get to do for people is the same, better, not as good, or is it? Have you been able to, because of your you know six decades long um, career arc, that you still have you still work with the best people and still get the best opportunities? Um, no, I mean. Uh, I, 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 Say that again. Say that again. Well, so I'm saying like, so from like 2000 to 2006, 2007, it seems like it didn't matter who the builder was. Every bike that got built somehow got sold magically for some, some of them probably arguably more money than what they were, were worth as far as craftsmanship and stuff. But you've been doing this now for, you know, you're 50 years into it. So you're into your sixth decade. Do you find that you now you has it always been where you got to work with the best clientele and build the, the, the funnest projects and the things that really, really kind of made you feel good about it? Or it, it, you know, or are you still every once in a while, you know, you get halfway into a project and find out that someone's a turd or, you know, I mean, does that still happen or are you, have you developed the skill to where you can suss all of that out? Yeah, no, I think that, um, uh, well, first of all, you know, back in uh, in the you know two thousands era, um, when we were selling everything 
that we could build, that was the TV era. Right. You know, and I mean, that was an era that TV made that happen. Mm-hmm. Truly. Right. Um, plus, the banks were giving out pretty much free money. Anybody <laughs> right. could walk in and, and, you know, put five grand down on their credit card and walk out with a bike. Um, but it was, uh, it was a great time. Um, I loved every minute of it. We had, uh, for many years, we had a year, year and a half backlog of $75,000 bikes. Nice. And, um, you know, just a little side note, it was crazy. Um, a guy that I know um, owned a bank, and he came up to me one time and said, Hey, listen, um, I, if you want, uh, I, I'd be, I would love to finance some bikes that you're building. Uh, if you've got anybody that needs to get financed, if they have 25% down and they have good credit, we'll finance them for the whole, you know, 75 grand. Right. And uh, I said, yeah, okay. Well, about, I don't know, a year or more later, I saw that same guy, and he came up to me and said, hey, what's up? How come, you know, what's the matter? My money isn't good enough. I'm like, what are you talking about? He says, well, nobody's come to me to get financed. And I'm like, well, to be honest with you, everybody that I build bikes for pays me cash. Right. So they don't need to get financed, you know? And and that was the case back then, you know? I mean, we had a great clientele. Um, I mean, I've got a number of guys that I built anywhere from six to ten bikes for. Yeah, that, um, that was the that, and that's where I was going with this was that the fact that you've you've been doing it long enough, and you're you know you're definitely one of the I can't even come up with a number, but I mean. Nobody has done, I don't know that anybody's built as many as you have and had the opportunity to that's still doing it, obviously, um, to where you have the opportunity to work with the same people over and over again. So that was kind of where I was leading the question to is that you are one of these guys. I mean, you're kind of like one of the Rolling Stones. I mean, (laughs) you know, we're, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, it's it's been, you know, I've had a great relationship with, you know, um, a a lot of people that I've built bikes for. Um, You know, I'd build them, you know, build build a guy a bike that's, you know, the cool deal. And then by the time that one gets done, he's like, well, you know what? I think I'd like to have this particular style and so I built them another one with a different little different style and you know it kept going and going you know and um, you know it's been great and I mean to this day um, you know I've got a really good feel for people as far as um, you know if 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 somebody comes to me and they want a bike built and and I and I don't get a real good vibe off them then I, I don't do the job yeah, that's a you that's know, a that's a that's good it. skill set to have. That's a very good skill set to have. Um, yeah, what, I and, want. And um, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I was I was no. I want to hear what you have to say. I, I was just I don't want to lose my thought. But go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's just uh, like I say. I don't need to. I've got plenty of work, so you know, it, it's not about the money. It's about I don't need the aggravation. You know. Yep. Um, you know, right now, um, anything that we build. We don't put time frames on them, you know. Um, yeah, I'll take the job, but I can't tell you when it's going to be done. Yeah, you know, it could be three months, it could be six months, it could be a year. You know, I'm not putting a time frame on it. And if that's not good with you, then you know, hey, you could find somebody else to do it. Yeah, you know, one of the things that I, you know, that me and and a number of other people that are in my age group that have been doing this now for just about two decades, and we've get we've got to watch you, and we got to say, okay, you know, this is this is somebody that we want to model ourselves after, and, and model the way we treat people after, and the model the way we treat people in the business after, because you have such an amazing reputation for being an honest gentleman, and you also you're you're no bullshit guy there's i've never been around you where i was like you know that that didn't sound right i mean everything you know everything just kind of checks out just because you know there's that saying says no man has a good enough memory to be a successful liar right so you're just one of the most honest guys i've ever ever been around and you have this this certain way of, of doing things and one of the things that i think people 
don't know enough about is how charitable you are and how driven you are. I, I you know, and I don't want to talk about something that I can't talk about, but I do want people to know that, you know, the, the hamsters, everybody sees the guys with the yellow shirts and they don't, they have this preconceived notion that it's one type of human, human being and that are one type of individual. And that's such a diverse group of, of, of people that do amazing things for other people and ask nothing in return. And I wanted to talk about that because I watched you command a room last year and I hope I'm not talking out of school, but I watched you command a room last year, starting with $0 and zero cents. And by the time dinner was over, the hamsters had raised over $500,000 for three different charities. And one of which was determined earlier that day by yourself and a couple other gentlemen in, in the group. And you've, single-handedly kind of built up an entire community through the, the the hamsters organization that you provide medical care for people that live in an area that maybe they don't have all the resources that we have in a, in a big city. Well, you know, it, it's, it, it's funny because um, back in, we started our fall foliage run in 93. Right. And, you know, it was, 25, 30 guys, you know, uh, going up to New Hampshire to see the fall foliage. Right. Well, um, the weather was a little un too unpredictable up there, so we we only went to New Hampshire a couple of years. So then we, we moved it to the Cape, to Cape Cod. Right. Well, after, uh, you know, maybe five or six years, um, you know, we had guys from all over the country that were coming to our foliage run. It was an invitation-only hamster deal. And there was, you know, guys that were fairly wealthy, a, lo a lot of guys. So I said, well, you know what? Why don't we, why don't we raise some money? Um, let's, let's do a little auction and raise some money. So the first year that we, we did a little auction at the fall foliage run, you know, it was probably the late 90s. And um, we... Uh, I think we raised like $2,500, you know? Mm -hmm. And so we went into Boston and we handed the check to uh, the doctor that uh, runs the the, uh, the ward at the Children's Hospital. Right. And uh, we said, this is for you to, to help out with the kids in this hospital. It's not for research or anything else. And so then, you know, the following year we, we, we made... 4,000 and uh, 10 years later we were up to 60,000 uh, and this is for like one night we, right. we would raise like 60 grand and uh, approximately around the same time uh, Bob Ellingsworth who was a hamster he's passed away now he was from Minnesota Bob uh, said well let's let's do uh, something for the children in South Dakota. So that's when we started the auction uh, in Sturgis. And, um, you know, the same thing. It started out, we probably made, you know, maybe five or ten grand. And then, you know, it got to be 20 grand. Then it got to be 50 grand. And before we knew it, it was, you know, over a hundred grand and this is all in just a one night banquet in Sturgis right and this this past year uh, for children's care in South Dakota for the Sturgis Hall of Fame Museum and for Meals on Wheels um, we did those three charities but total we, we put together somewhere a little under 600,000 yeah and um, you know I mean, uh, Meals on Wheels, they had, for, for the whole Spearfish area, they had a budget of $6,000 to feed all of the elderly for a whole year. That's not much. We gave them, we gave them another 14000 And, I mean, they were just, you know, the woman that ran it, she was just beside herself. I mean, they went from $6,000 budget to now they got 20000 you know, that feeds a lot of people. It does a lot. You know, I mean, yeah, it does. And, and the museum, you know, the Hall of Fame Museum, you know, that's run totally on donations. And, you know, the museum in the last two years, we've raised somewhere in the vicinity of 
hit them between, I think last year was 45,000, the year before was 60,000. Uh, we've given to the museum. And, you know, it's all through the charity of all the guys that are involved in the hamsters. Um, and, you know, it's because we can. And, you know, it's great that we can, we're able to do this to help people. It is, it is, it was sobering. I mean, I, you know, I don't want to compare it to a religious experience, but that's the only thing I've ever been involved in that I could say, like, I was just, I was enamored with the, the air of charity in that room. It was not, it wasn't, I don't know how to explain it. It was, it was just something that was, it was life-changing and it was like, I, you know, you, when you are in the industry and you see your heroes and, and the people you look up to and the people that you hope will mentor you in some way, shape or form, all kind of, you know, converging on something. And it's just kind of, it's kind of neat, you know, for years, I've kind of just kind of been around everybody and, and getting to know everybody and still don't know everybody, but, you know, putting in work to, to learn that. And then you get invited to something like that and you go to something like that. And it's, you come out of it with a very different mindset on what it means to be charitable, what it means to be involved in a organization like the hamsters and it's something that it it's it's very cool and and i just i don't know if people understand um how important it is and and what it what it all what it all stands for it's really awesome yeah you know it's like you say though jason you know to be there is a whole different you know we can we can talk about it but to be at the banquet and see it all happen you know, um, you know, I do, you know, the live auction, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, when we have an event, you know, I'm the guy that does the live auction. And it's like, you know, it, it gets so crazy that, you know, I got to break down and laugh. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's right. like, man, this is, this is so crazy. You know, when a guy pays $5,000 for a, uh, a pin that's the size of a quarter that probably costs 50 bucks, you know? Right. Well, I mean, it just kind of shows that, and, and that's the direction, like somebody who is a charitable person is a charitable person. And it's not about the pin that's, that costs 50 bucks. It's about what the, the money that they have the ability to move that needle so that they can make a difference. And, you know, no one person's name is attached to that everyone in that organization is attached to that. So that's where it just kind of makes everybody in that room, um, it's just it's a neat place to be. It was it was something that I'm I'm I hold very close to to me is one of the one of those shining moments where you realize that wow you know if you do get an opportunity to be part of what this organization stands for and what this organization does that it's not something that it's it's not something that should be casually uh, approached. You know what I mean? It's something that's it's yeah, very meaningful. Yeah. It's very meaningful. Um, yeah. So you have um, one of the things that you do every year uh, at Daytona, and you do it every year in Sturgis. The Wednesday is always set aside at the Broken Spoke and the Iron Horse for the Perowitz Paint Show. And to me, you know, I, I don't want to besmirch anybody, but the Rats Hole Show to me isn't what it used to be. Um, and, you know, that's okay. Everything can't be what it used to be. I mean, everybody changes and evolves, and there's different type of builders that go there. But for me, my money is on the Perowitz Paint Show uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, um, I think you guys have um, the the best judging outcomes. I think they're legit. I think that the, the right bikes seem to win that show. And so to me, that adds credibility to it. Um, you have fantastic prizes and people that get involved in that. And people truly, if they put their money where their mouth is, I think it's a pretty hard thing for a painter, and I'm not a painter, but for a painter to go, yeah, I'm going to go put my bike or a bike that I painted in front of the one person above all else in this industry that is considered the godfather of custom paint. I think that's that's saying a lot about how people view you, how people view your show, and how people view how hard they work on their own projects. And, and that show that's every Wednesday is is awesome and that is sponsored by ppg isn't it no no okay. actually it isn't um we have a number of sponsors um <clears throat> uh, um you know i, I don't want to get into all the sponsors but uh it's a great show uh melissa who 
is, um, you know, she owns the venues, mm -hmm. and she's been great to work with. Um, you know, she she has the Broken Spoke in Daytona, and she has the Iron Horse in Daytona, and then she runs the Iron Horse um, in Sturgis. Um, and our paint show is all about custom paint. doesn't matter what kind of bike you have. Right. It's all about custom paint. And we have a panel of judges that are all custom painters from all over the country. And we don't have the same guys at every show. Um, you know, there's a different, different group of guys and they're all, they're all professionals. Um, I try not to get too involved in it. I let them make the decisions. Um, you know, like I say, they're all from different areas and, um, you know, it, it's, I, I have very, I can't ever remember having anybody complain that they should have won. Um, it's, it's about as fair as anything could be as far as the judging. Um, one of the really cool things about our paint show is the trophies. Right. The trophies are all hand-painted trophies, either by me, Jody, or by the painters that are judging the show. Um, everything is hand painted. Could be anything from a bowling pin to a half a gas tank, um, you know. But it's all really cool shit. And uh, and then you know we we have um, uh, hard drives gives away uh, a lot of <clears throat> a lot of stuff um, prizes along with the trophies. Uh, CSI polishes they give away a lot of stuff. Um, you know, and, and several other companies, but it, it's been, it, it's been really good. Um, it, it's, our show is always the, the show that all the top guys want to go to. Yeah. And it's a good uh, hang too. Gotta, yeah. And it's, it's right. Exactly. It's a cool place to hang because all the cool guys are there. So, you know, everybody gets to, you know, look at everybody's bikes and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's worked out really well. You know, it's worked out really well. We, uh, we love doing it. We look forward to it. And, um, you know, we couldn't do it without the help of Melissa. Yeah, Melissa Penland is definitely one of these people that uh, that I talk about that, you know, there's a different, there's two different Sturgis experiences. There's two, two different Daytona experiences, and she is definitely a champion of people that do, you know, that put in the work, right, and that want to show up and want to do yeah. stuff. Um, oh, absolutely. So your show, um, you, you, you're, you're right in the middle of the week. You're right in the middle of the town, and you are. The venue is so fantastic because it's the old, it's the old, you know, Lizelle broken spoke kind of iron horse kind of thing. But there is that is a giant concert venue too. I mean, they have some of the best concerts all week, and you know the beer and the, the vibe there is so nice. And and the you, one of the things you said was, oh, excuse me that um no one's ever you never heard anybody complain about that and i think that that plays into the quality of of people that you surround yourself with and associate yourself with because of it being such a great place to hang out a great vibe there you know we i go i make sure we go there every year sometimes we have something to put in it sometimes we don't um but it's it's just it's so much fun to do that and the shows that's the one thing that I try to tell people that, you know, cause I have people that I know that have never been to Sturgis and for them, it's a bucket list item, right? It's something they're maybe going to get to do one time or two times. And we get to do it every single year. And, and like you said, it's, it's work, but do you foresee a time where you're like, uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang up my, I'm gonna hang up my shoes and, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna stay back home and, and paint. And, or, or is it, is this something that you're, as long as the, is there's, is, Dave Perowitz has two legs, two eyes, and two hands. He's going to Sturgis and Daytona and all these things? Absolutely, yeah. Good. I mean, the day I don't go to these bike events is when I can't <laughs> physically go. If I can physically go, I'm going. You know, it's the same with my work, you know. Um, you, know you know, occasionally somebody say, well, you ever think about retiring? No. Why would I retire from a job I love doing? Right. You know, I look forward to going to work every day. You know, why would I want to retire? What am I going to do when I retire? Oh, work on bikes? <laughs> you know right. Yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. So to that point, the next thing I wanted to touch on is, is Perowitz, uh is, is 
Pyrwood Cycle Fab is a family family owned business. You work with your daughter. I, I met both of your daughters. Obviously, I know Jody pretty well, but I met your other daughter. I have not met your son, but I do know that you know you've had several different iterations. You, know, you used to work out of the Quonset Hut behind your house. You had you know back when things were were really kind of you know booming. There was a you had a shop there in Bridgewater that was much bigger than the one you have now. And I think. I think you seem most happy where you're at now, but what is the future? What is the future of Parowitz Cycle Fab? What do you want for for your children that that are in the business and, and working on a daily basis? Well, I mean, my my plan for many years has been promotions. Um, I, I love promoting, and um, you know, the bike of build offs was a good example. Um, most of the guy, or I shouldn't say most, but a lot of the guys came out with products and they used the bike of build off notoriety to sell products. Right. Uh, I didn't do that at all. I used it to promote myself. And, um, I think I made a really good decision. Um, and you know, and we're still doing that and I promote myself, but also Jody, yep. you know, uh, Jody has become a really good promoter. Um, she's got, she's built quite a name for herself in the motorcycle industry. She yep. was inducted into the motorcycle, the youngest person to be inducted into the motorcycle hall of fame in Sturgis. Um, you know, she's got the credentials now. She's holds 16 land speed records. She's officially the fastest woman in history on an American bike. Um, she's raced in the cannonball, uh, several times, one of only three women that's ever completed all the miles in the cannonball. Uh, she races in Billy Lane's Sons of Speed. She's won that previously. Um, she's getting ready to do in September, she'll be doing the chase. Um, she just completed the Kyle Petty charity ride. Um, so, you know, my plan is to promote right to promote her more than anything and promote myself um you know as a spokesperson um you know for the motorcycle industry for the custom end of the industry um for her women um you know that's that's the plan and it's been working out very well um but it's been it's been a long journey, and it's and it's something that you cannot stop doing. Because no, I learned a long time ago. It doesn't take long for people to forget you. No, right? If you're not in the forefront, you know people forget you real quick. Let me ask you something. You brought up. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that your proudest moments in life are your you know your children's accomplishments, as as are mine. And you know I'm a grand I'm a grandfather now. Um, but uh, what is the single biggest accolade that you could receive, whether you've already received it or whether it's something that you still are working towards? What is the single biggest accolade that you could be given to, to not to consummate, but to, or, you know, to consecrate your career? If someone said, Hey, you know, you have all these accomplishments. Is there anything that eludes you or, I mean, you love your job. That's great. And you're going to do it for the, for until you can't anymore. That's awesome. I love hearing that because that's kind of where I put myself, you know, modeling myself after gentlemen like you, but is there anything that you, you know what I still haven't done in, in what that would be? Um, well, I mean, that's, pretty easy to my biggest accomplishment the, the accomplishment that means the most was the day that Jody ran 200 miles an hour okay That's, that was you know that was by far the biggest day probably your scariest day of life too uh, well you know it's funny people you know people have asked me you know a hundred times you know geez, were you nervous when your daughter ran 200 miles an hour? And, you know, I'll tell them, no, not really, because she was so confident and she did everything right. She did everything we told her to do. Um, and, you know, I was at the starting line for every race she ever did. And, um, you know, at our old shop, <laughs> during 
bike night, we used to go up on the roof and throw T-shirts off, and I was far more nervous when she was on the roof of my building <laughs> throwing T-shirts off <laughs> than, than I was you know, seeing her go 200 miles an hour. So I'm assuming you were at the starting line. I'm assuming there was something that was said. What was the last thing you told her before you, you sent her on her way to go set that world record? Um, I love you. Uh, there's nothing, there is nothing like how much a, a father loves their daughter. It, it's just, it's something that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very lucky. I get to work with my daughter every single day and my daughter hasn't met Jody yet, but looks up to her because Jody's a, a strong, accomplished young woman in an industry that, that appears on the surface to be dominated by men. But when you think about it, there's people, there's so many people like Jody and then there's Lisa Baker and there's Melissa Pendland and there's Marilyn Stemp and even Pam from cycle Rama. And I try to, uh, I try to make my daughter understand that, that, that you can do what you want to do and you can do this forever. Like, like you've done and for the foreseeable future and do it until you can't anymore. And I think that's, that's, that's the key. Yeah. I mean, as far as accomplishments, you know, to be honest with you, I, I feel I've peaked. <laughs> um, and, and it's not anything about my accomplishments anymore. You know, I've accomplished, you know, I'm in four different motorcycle halls of fame, um, Jody is in the Hall of Fame. That was a huge, huge deal for me. And everything else is just extra. So now you're going to go, you're going to go back and you're going to, I feel like what you're going to be doing over the next two years, what we're going to see from you personally, not just from your shop, but you personally is you're going to do, I feel like you're going to get a chance to kind of do the things maybe that you had to you didn't get a chance to do when when everything that you did was based on, you know, putting food on the table for the whole family. Like you're going to build some diggers, you're going to get these pro streets going back out, and so we're going to start seeing this genesis of uh, a new way to do kind of the classics. And and I'm looking forward to to seeing what what you put out there. Yeah, and I mean, I, you know, honestly. Uh, very, I, I don't think, I don't want to say never, but I, I don't think I've ever built a bike um, that wasn't pre-sold, we'll say, that wasn't, uh, I didn't consider the resale value. Everything that I build, I consider the resale value. You know, I, I, I don't build anything that isn't going to be worth far more than what it costs me to build it. And... You know, everything is, you know, when I'm building a bike, it's like I always have a figure in mind, like this bike will be worth X amount of dollars, you know, and I, and I, and I'm, I'm using a realistic figure. Sure. Well, these diggers, I don't even think about that. You know, I'm going to build these diggers and I'm not putting a value on them because it's what I want to do. You know, if I don't ever sell them, that's fine. You know, <laughs> right. I don't want to, you know, it's all about how much enjoyment I'm going to have to build these bit diggers just the way we did back in the seventies and the eighties. I think that's going to be awesome. And, that, and that's kind of, that's a, that's a great place to kind of shore things up and, and, and put a pin in it that, you know, you've earned, you've earned all of the right to do all of the things that you do and, and no one disputes that. But now we're going to get to see you do what you love, the way you love it, for the love of the game, not for not for any other, not for any other personal or financial gain, and I think that's awesome. Yeah, well, you know it. Um, you know it, it takes a lot of years to <laughs> to get to that point. You know. Yeah. Well, you've definitely put it all in for that, and and listen from from myself and my peer group and the guys that have been doing it as long as I've been doing it. Thank you very much for creating a space for us to not only do it, but making room for us to be able to do it and showing us the right way to do it all, all the way. Cause everybody's watching, you know, I mean, like you said, you know, you, you, you went out of your way to make sure that you remained relevant. And I appreciate that very much. And, and whether you know it or not, my friends and I all look up to you and, and, you know, someday hope that we're in the hall of fame and that we have the opportunities that you have and that you've created for yourself and for your family. We appreciate that. 
Well, you know, uh, thank you, you know, and, and hey, listen, I just want to, you know, I see up-and-coming guys, and, you know, in, in the last, you know, we'll say five years or maybe a little more, you know, there's more young guys out there now that are that are doing it, and, um, you know, it's it's really cool, you know, and I like talking to guys that are coming up, you know, and, and you know, one big question that I've been asked is, you know, well, what's it going to take? What's it take to be a guy like you, you know, famous, you know? I mean, yeah, right, I'm famous. Everybody knows my name, right? right. Uh, what's it take, you know? And, and it's simple. It, you got, you got to live it. you got to live the life. Yeah. There's no, there's no weekends off. I mean, you got to live the motorcycle life, and you gotta, and, and you can't live it if you don't love it. No, you're exactly and that's right. That's what it's all about. Yep. I, I tell people all the time, I could go home and, and quit my job and, and go do something else, but I cannot quit the motorcycle industry. I, I love the people too much. I love being around them. I love doing all the things that we get to do. Right. Right. I mean, I've had opportunities that money could not buy. I mean, I've had opportunities that people dream about from being in the motorcycle industry and, you know, um, you know, I'll, I'll build a bike for some big executive that takes four secretaries to get through to him, and, and right. I'll, I'll call and they'll say, who's calling? And I'll say, oh, well, I'm the guy that's building the motorcycle. And they'll say, oh, well, hold on. And, right. you, know, you know, the guy will drop what he's doing to talk to me, you know? Yeah, because um, you're, you're doing the, the one thing that he loves. Yeah. That's awesome. Right, exactly. Well, Dave, yeah. I appreciate you today. We're at an hour. Uh, make sure you guys follow okay. D Parowitz on Instagram and Parowitz underscore cycle fab. And make sure if you're in Sturgis that you are present and accounted for at the Parowitz show on on the Wednesday at the Iron Horse on Lizelle. Dave, I'll see you very soon. Thank you very much for your time today. Okay, and I just want to give a plug to our uh, Chopper History show which um, uh, is Facebook, and it is every Thursday from noon to 1, and we have special guests on. Uh, actually, this week, we've got Joe Martin. Nice. Uh, you know, Joe Martin has his TV show, Iron Resurrection. Yep. Uh, Joe's an old friend. He builds really cool shit, and uh, Joe's going to be our guest this week. So tune in Thursday. Uh, noon to one Eastern time and uh, listen to Hurwitz and Chopper History. All right. Make sure you guys go listen. Thank you so much, Dave. Have a great day. Okay, Jay. I'll talk to you soon. Yes, sir. Yeah. Bye-bye.